All right, welcome, folks, to another GD podcast. I'm your host, Guy DeMarco. Once again, I am recording this from my vehicle. I'm doing it the miles to matches way, minus the Ben and Jerry's. All right, I'm on a, uh, I got a sunflower seed budget, not necessarily uh, a Ben and Jerry's budget, but I digress. So, welcome to another great episode of another GD podcast. I am your host, Guy DeMarco. I am riding solo. I am on my way to my first national two-day match of the year. Headed out to the spring, shout out, spring shootout for MPA at Cool Acres. Um, if you listened to the last podcast, I don't know which one's going to come out first, but recap. Um, so, the this is a podcast that I meant to record literally months ago, specifically two and a half of them. Yet, life, man. Uh, things happen get caught up and then forget and then feel guilty for not doing it and then tell myself I'm going to do it and then I don't do it and then I guilt myself some more and then forget some more and then other stuff comes up so I'm recording it now so there you go this is going to be the recap of the modern day sniper welcome to the modern day sniper class review uh see what I did there that was like two different podcasts like jam together um this class was held on the 11th and 12th of january of 2023 this was hosted by altus shooting solutions um i was super stoked to go to this class um i had missed the class the year before so i wasn't able to take it because i didn't have the funds this year i had the funds so i definitely signed up and made sure that i was going to be in this class now, the two classes that they offered were the Intro to Precision Rifle and then the Advanced Competition class. Um, generally, I do like to take the Intro to Precision Rifle class um, just so I can get like a feel for how those instructors or how that uh, school runs a Intro to Precision Rifle. Um, I was not, excuse me, I was not able to do that um, time-wise, financial-wise, ammo-wise, um, to get in there and do that class. Uh, so maybe next year I'll take it. I don't know. But I did take the Modern Day Sniper Advanced Competition class. Um, this is going to be an honest review of the breakdown of course material, um, some info about the instructors, um, the goods and the bads, all right? Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at instructors. I'm not trying to throw shade at courses or schools of instruction. This is just my honest feedback. I have talking, I have talking, I have talked to Phil on the phone about the course, about my thoughts and impressions and everything like that. He knows exactly what I'm gonna say um, I'm reading off my notes here, um, and he said full send. So this isn't me. Whoa, I just hit a button. Sorry, that was really loud. Um, this isn't me just throwing shade um, at the course. This is a well laid out and um, well documented uh, account of my time at the course that I paid for, um, and. The, the goods and the bads that came with that course. So let's dive into it. So 
This course was, origin was originally supposed to be instructed by Phil Vallejo, um, Matt Solowinski, and Ryan... Oh, God, I'm going to screw this up. Diego Santi? Steve? No. I totally jacked that up. Dyslexic me. Ryan? D... Degosti? Des D apostrophe A-G-O-S-T-I-N-O. Anyways, it's Saving Ryan's Privates on Instagram. That's how I know him. I'm a talker, not a reader out louder. All right? Um, plus, we just called him Ryan the whole time. So, Matt and Ryan and Phil were the assigned instructors. Phil had a family emergency. Phil was not able to make it to the course. We all have life happen. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know the event in question. I just know he had a family emergency and he wasn't able to make the course, which is totally understandable. And I do not hold that against modern day sniper, Phil, or Matt or Ryan that somebody had a family emergency. I have family emergencies all the time with my two boys. I 100% understand and am empathetic to that situation and hope everything has figured itself out or is resolved or somebody is feeling better whatever the situation is i don't know what it is it's not my business i just hope whatever it is the matter is corrected and everybody is doing well all right um but phil was not there so it was just ryan and matt uh instructing the class they instructed the precision rifle um basic basics course and then they instructed the advanced competition course all right so the events i'm going to break down into day one and day two and then kind of talk about the timeline of events that we did and then um kind of the uh kind of just the the thought process on some of the things that they taught us now i will say that we had four students in this class so four students for an advanced competition class um i liked that it was small numbers because that meant more one-on-one -on -one instruction um i mean while we were sitting there pulling triggers they were literally either right beside us um watching our trigger finger watching us run the bolt watching us um from above us watching our recoil management watching our natural point of aim everything like that so that was really really cool that it was a small class and we literally had one-on-one -on -one instructor student feedback and dialogue so that was really cool so day one intro to class like everybody we all walk in um get into the classroom do the course intro go over the class overview um talk about student experience from ourselves we had um one guy that had shot like maybe two or three competitions uh, mainly up in the tennessee area k m we had um, another gentleman, can't remember his name to save my life, um, first time I met him, um, shot a couple um, outlaw matches, maybe a couple of PRS matches, but seemed more geared towards the NRL Hunter type uh, competitions. And then myself as a PRS guy, and then another gentleman named Zach, who um, is a 
military dude that does some um, military long rifle training. And those were the four of us. So some with more experience than others, some new, some old, some military, some civilian. So a good mix on students. And then, so we kind of covered our little backgrounds and, uh, and then we covered like our expectations for the class. Like, what do we expect to be getting out of this class that, um, that, and like why we signed up? Like, I signed up because I've got some big lofty goals of doing well in the Precision Rifle Series um, national level and the regional series. Um, I've got some big lofty goals. I've kind of changed and adapted those goals over... Um, the six one-day matches that I've shot so far this year. I'm recording this in uh, March of 2023. Um, I took this course in January of 2023, shot my first match for the 2023 season in November of 2022, and since then have shot six matches um, in that time frame. I mean, February was a really busy month. I shot, I think, three of those matches in the month of February. Um, so kind of went over our expectations and our goals and things like that. Um, so we did that. We immediately went out to the zero range and we zeroed and chronoed our rifles and made sure that we were, we had a good zero and that we had a good, um, good speed data for our firearm. Um, and then we immediately broke out our tripods and we ran the craft drill from, um, Riflecraft, Chris Way, um, his Riflecraft drill. Now, they just told us, hey, you're going to fire three rounds from the standing tripod, three rounds from the kneeling tripod, three rounds from the seated tripod, and three rounds from the prone. Now, we did it in that order just so we weren't having to get up, get down, adjust everything on the fly. So it wasn't necessarily the exact craft drill, a variation of it but that's the fun with the craft drill is you can run it any way you want um so we did that now once they did that drill um for our first 12 rounds then they explained what the craft drill was for those that have never run it before and kind of explained it um i've kept every single craft drill target that i have ever shot so i cut those out of the cardboard and brought those back with me um maybe i'll post those up uh, as photos um, I am not the best standing tripod shooter um, so I ended up throwing one wide right um, jerked the trigger pulled it into the five ring so um, everything else was pretty tight but threw one into the five ring and a little upset about it but it is what it is so ran zero chrono ran our craft, uh, craft drill assessment to kind of get their um, a visual representation of how we are as a shooter for Matt and Ryan to kind of gauge where we're at. Um, and then they explained it and kind of gave us what our craft number was going to be. And then we moved over to the long range um, Charlie Lane of Altus and we moved up to the tower and we confirmed dope from 300 to 940 yards. As many rounds as you want, play around, um, figure out maybe a little bit of wind, figure out 
what your what your elevation is if you've you got a good zero but maybe your your elevation isn't tracking did you put it into your kestrel the right way things like that um from there we went over um to the normal firing line there at Altus on the main line, and we worked on some positional shooting. Um, we did positional shooting from that main line, and we did shooting off the tripod at different distances. So on this one, um, they had just kind of shown us when we did the craft drill off of our tripods, it kind of gave us a small impromptu class on tripods um, and the different ways that they can be employed. We did, um, you know, clipping into the ball head. Somebody had the really right stuff, Anvil 30, and they were able to clamp in and really lock into their system. Some of them just had a ball head that they tried to clamp in and then run the ball head. Some of them just folded the ball head over and then put the bag on top of it. I elected to pull the entire centerpiece out of my tripod and just run the flat top um, flat top tripod, no ball head, and a bag. That seemed to be way um, more stable for me, provided me a lot of stability shooting off a bag because then it's just like shooting off any other barricade, and that's very comfortable to me. Um, I tried locking in to my ball head, and I was very, very... Um, unstable a lot of wobble zone a lot of um figure eight going on with my reticle didn't like it took the whole apparatus out of my tripod and then worked like a champ um ended up doing that pretty much the rest of the class and figured out hey if i do have to shoot off of a tripod that's probably how i'm gonna do it because i'm way more stable um, so we shot off the tripod at different heights, different variations, different target distances, um, kneeling, seated, standing, um, not really running any uh, specific drills or stages, but just getting comfortable shooting off of the top of a tripod. Um, they were kind of doing the tripod rule of thumb, um, which was helpful information. Um, at least for me, because I never really thought about this. And since them telling me, I've actually heard other people saying the same thing. So it's very much like, hey, there's a white VW slug bug over there. Well, as soon as you see that white VW slug bug, you start noticing more Volkswagen slug bugs, regardless of the color, right? So kind of triggers something in your mind. You, it's in the forefront of your mind, so now you're going to notice it more. So when they said this, I started noticing it more when people said it on other podcasts. So the tripod rule of thumb, the ball head, the bag, the clamp, whatever it is that the rifle is going to be touching or affixed to, um, that should be, doesn't have to be, but should be at the sternum level for that position. So if I'm in the standing position, my tripod and bag, that bag needs to be at about my sternum level. If I go down to the kneeling, that top of that bag needs to be approximately at my sternum level. Same thing for the seated position. So that was one of those little pieces of information that you go to these classes for. Um, I've been around the Precision Rifle Series 
involved shooting it, not just ROing it, for three years now. I've seen a lot of people shoot tripod rear, seen a lot of people shoot off of tripods, things like that. First time, first time I've been told that in a educational format, hey, this is a good rule of thumb. This is a way that we have found it to work. If it works for you, good to go. First time I've heard it, that's why you take these classes is because something's going to pop, something is going to trigger. You're going to get that little nugget of information that you didn't have prior to taking this class. And it may not be the biggest aha moment like, hey, like to make sure that you hit every shot at given distance, do this. It's just like, hey, this is one way to go about setting up in this position. It tends to have a high probability of success. Try it out, see if it works. That would be setting your tripod um, for whatever variation you're going to shoot it at sternum height for the given position you're going to shoot from. So that was something that really um, got driven home for me when shooting with the tripods. Um, then we did some mover training, which, um, once again, this little nugget of information, um, it's not written down anywhere. It's not like all over the internet. It was just something that Ryan was trying, had us try to see if it would work. And I'll get into that in a moment. Not only did they show us the Kestrel method, um, which is, you know, if you're using a Kestrel with applied ballistics or another type of solver, um, it's going in, it's using your rifle reticle or a milling reticle in a spotter or a pair of binos or something like that to measure the mover over a known distance and using the mover solution in the Kestrel to figure out what the speed is, right? Super easy. It's going to travel over 20 mils, start it, stop it. It does all the fancy calculations and tell you, tells you what the mover speed is. They re-showed us how to use that. I've known about that. One of the shooters didn't know about that, hasn't had the opportunity to shoot a lot of movers. That was new information to him. That could have been his... Okay, 10 miles and I get to get gas. Yay. Um, that could have been his light bulb moment. Okay. So good information for him to have. I already knew that information. That's the information that, that's the method that I've been using. My light bulb moment was the time of flight method. So we were shooting a 300 yard mover. Okay. So... The, way, the best way I can explain this. So Ryan broke it down like this. Time of flight method. You're going to go into your Kestrel and you're going to figure out what the time of flight for that range is. So that's specific to your bullet, your caliber, your muzzle velocity, everything like that. My gun was shooting 28-25, a 6BR, um, 105 grain projectile, so a bunch of variables, right? My flight time for 300 yards, 0.33 seconds, all right? So then you pull out a stopwatch, right? Stopwatch on your phone, stopwatch on your watch, okay? And you're going to count one, two, three, and you're going to try and speed up your cadence to match 
that 0.33 seconds. Yes, I know my gas light just came on. Thanks, car. All right. So time of flight of 0.33 seconds. Now I'm going to try and say a phrase or count. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Um, and get that into a 0.33 second time frame. And then I'm going to lay down behind my gun. And I'm going to keep that pace and see how far my or see how far the target travels within that one, two, three, or 0.33 seconds, because that's my flight time. Figured out that that target moved approximately six to eight tenths average in that one, two, three, 0.33 second count. So I was going to one, two, three, break the shot, one, two, three, break the shot. And I was actually getting my impacts. So now, is it as easy as the Kestrel method? No. You got to do a little bit of thinking. You got to count. You got to use a stopwatch. So instead of just using the Kestrel, one, you're going to use the Kestrel to figure out your flight time. And then you're going to figure out, now I need a stopwatch to count one, two, three, and 0.33 seconds. It's just another way to do it. Maybe you don't have a Kestrel, but you have a ballistic solver app on your phone that tells you, hey, your flight time is 0.33 seconds. Now you need to count, use your stopwatch on your phone or your stopwatch on your wrist because you don't have a Kestrel that figures out your lead for you. It's just another method. Um, it's, like I said, just a method. It's somewhat field expedient. Um, you can say, hey, I know that my flight time is approximately a tenth of a second per 100 yards. In this example, um, it's 0.11 per 100 yards. I'm shooting 400 yards, so I could say it's, you know, 4.4 seconds. So I would need to count 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, figure out how far that target moves within that time frame, and then break my shot and adjust from there. Once again, feel expedient, just a method. That's something that Ryan showed us. He said, hey, if it works for you, it works for you. If you don't like it, try the other method. Kestrel tells you to hold one point or break at 1.2. Try breaking at 1.2, see if it works for you. Just options, just methods to somewhat show you another way of doing it. Um, you can actually go to um, Ryan's Instagram. I believe it's uh, saving at saving Ryan's privates at saving underscore Ryan underscore privates um, or Ryan's underscore privates. And uh, I think he actually posted a video via trigger cam of this method where he kind of gave the breakdown. So it was kind of interesting. It was a good look at another method, right? We're always putting tools in our toolbox. So um, I'm gonna try the Kestrel method and I'm going to try the one, two, three method tomorrow at the MPA match train up day on the mover to see um, if I can do better than a zero on the mover stage. Um, last time at the one day, I got a, a zero. Um, 
couldn't see anything, blah, 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 woe is me, tiny, world's smallest fiddle. Um, so I didn't try it then, but I'm going to try it tomorrow, tomorrow on the train-up day where it's not in a match on the clock four points. I'm going to try just to educate myself, try a new method, and see if it works. So that's my game plan for tomorrow. Um, the next, So we worked on that for a little while. Um, we shot that mover for a good minute, um, expending some rounds, probably, probably fired 30 to 35-ish rounds maybe. Um, the, the course called for 300 rounds, so I brought 300... 300 rounds of ammo um, and ended up shooting the majority of those. I think I shot 245 rounds in the two days. So um, they say 300. I'd bring 300 again um, and just have that overage. Um, the next thing that we did was talk about wind corrections. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of wind on the old side, which is... Uh, the side nearest Altus, uh, headshed where the Connex Tower is, um, with the rope swing off of Alpha Bravo Charlie Lanes, all that fun stuff. So we talked about wind corrections. Okay, we're back. So I had to take a little pit stop, fuel up, um, get a little drinky poo, maybe a piece of candy. Laffy Taffy to be specific. But we were talking about wind corrections. So we went over wind corrections. Um, I really enjoyed this part because um, I've heard probably four different podcasts talk about it between Everyday Sniper, VP Precision, um, Mythology and Marksmanship, Miles to Matches, handful of other ones. I'll talk about their process on wind corrections. Now, podcasts are great, and I love them, but they're an auditory platform, an auditory learning method. I am not an auditory learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner. means I have to do it, right? But I'm also very visual. I'm a visual kinesthetic learner, all right? I have to see it, and then I have to do it. So... The way that I believe it was um, Matt that gave this portion of the instruction. We didn't go into the classroom, to my recollection. I think he did it like sand table style, where he like drew in the dirt, um, which is perfect for me. Um, so, the basic rule of thumb. Once again, I'm going to reference a lot of rule of thumb, or uh, but no, when I say that, it's just one method. All right. So for wing corrections, they were saying if you engage target and you miss that target, whether it be up, down, left, or right, if you see your impact, your wing correction should be no less than half the target. All right? Wind correction should be no less than half the target. So I wrote an example. If your target is 0.4 mils wide at a given distance, right? Your target is 0.4 mils wide. Oh, I guess I'm getting off in a mile, two miles. Okay, I can do that. All right, 0.4 mil, 
wide target at a given distance and you miss that target to the right, your minimum correction should be at least 0.2. Not a 0.1, not a 0.175. I don't even know how you would hold that. Not a 0.1, but minimum 0.2. That way you're covering half of the target minimum, if not a little more, if you held three tenths instead of two tenths. All right? So that was their explanation on their method for making uh, wing call corrections uh, for a given target if you miss. Um, ended up using it. Worked pretty well. Be like, oh, man, I was just off the left. All right? Or I was just off the right. Okay. So if I'm missing off the right, why would I only want to hold, be like, oh, you were a tenth off the right. Okay, well, if I only hold a tenth, then I'm only going to hit the edge of the target. My goal is to impact the center of the target. So if I hold half the target width, being 0.4 in this, in this example, so if I hold an extra 0.2 of wind, I should be impacting center of target or at least right favor of that target which I'm always trying to get to the center of the target one because that's our goal is to hit the center of targets granted we get a point for an edge but if you can keep those rounds consistently in the center of the target your ability to read wind and read misses and make corrections are just that much um, more refined than the next shooter if you're target acquisition, your target engagement, your correction are more refined than the next shooter, that means you're probably going to do better than the other shooters at the competition, which is why we go to these competitions, is to challenge ourselves, see how we stack up against our friends to compete, and for some of us, it's ultimately to win. Um, so that was their win, win correction thought process, which is pretty enjoyable. Um, ended up using that one and have used it since with some pretty decent success. Uh, next thing that we did, we did go into the classroom for this. And uh, they broke down the speed drop um, process. All right. They drew it up on the board on how to figure it out, how to do all the math and all that other stuff. Like I said, I am a visual kinesthetic learner, so I'm not going to try and explain that. I don't have, like, all of the notes um, that I took because that's in my little green book, not on this podcast outline that I drew up. If you want to learn about speed drop, it's a YouTube video away. I know there's plenty of them out there that explain it um, and how to do it. Sorry, I'm getting all these directions because now I'm off of the main road and on the backcountry roads. So, speed drop explanation, like what it is, an example of how it's uh, how to do the math, and then application. Um, we went out, we went and we ran uh, the speed drop calculations for our specific rifles, and then some of the shooters went out and actually tried that um that method 
of uh, engaging targets at different distances. Um, I personally did not do that. And the reason for that is because I am not uh, in a place where I'm going to be running speed drop. Um, speed drop is great for like leaving your your gun on a given a given range and engaging targets at multiple distances. That's not that's not my game. That's not my my application. If I have the opportunity to dial during a stage, I'm going to do it. Um, if it requires holdovers, I can just figure out the holdover. I don't need to try and do a speed drop um, like game plan and try and, and try and do that. I can just do my standard holdovers. Um, I'm not saying that like holdovers don't have a place. Um, they just don't have a place for me. It's a great... Uh, piece of information to have but um and i can i can recreate it and i can do it and i can set up my rifles to do it just for the for the sport in which i participate in it's it's not needed now given a law enforcement or a military application um where you know it's a two-way range and not having to think about dialing or um anything like that hey this dude's at 400 yards i put the you know the four mil line on them and i and i do it to it that's great that's probably going to work out really really well for you um for the game that we're doing not so much so um i chose not to partake in it which no harm no foul um we started running a couple of drills at the end of day one um and then we moved on from there and uh i think that's where we kind of finished out the day was running a stage or two um, on day one just to uh, make sure that we had a good grasp on all of the things that we had learned for the day on day one being, you know, wind corrections and movers. And we did a nice little like recap in the classroom and then kind of laid out what we we're going to be doing for the next day, like show times, X, Y, Z, you know, kind of like a working lunch. Man, everybody is crazy out here today. Um, both days was a bring your lunch, working lunch. Um, day one, I decided uh, I brought my extra rifles and did uh, did speed tests on a two two three gasser and uh, my six five. I was doing ladder testing stuff, so just kind of sat there and shot into a dirt berm. Didn't really need a target if I was just doing chrono work. So it was uh, it was pretty enjoyable. Um, Day two started off once again with craft drill. Um, so that was kind of like our warm-up. If you needed to zero or anything else like that, if something shifted or whatever, that was kind of like, hey, get down, drop down, do it real quick. Um, I want to say unsupervised air quotes. Like, like yes, the range was made hot. Everybody had eyes, ears, all that fun, fun stuff, all the safety stuff. Obviously, safety is paramount. All that stuff was... Right with the rain, we knew what people were doing, but it wasn't like, okay, let's make sure that everybody's zeroes good X Y Z. That was kind of four people, big boy rules, make sure everything's good to go. So that's what we did, and then we broke out into um, our own little separate firing positions, and we ran the craft drill again. All right, um, my craft drill ended up way better this day. I didn't pull um, 
I didn't pull a super wide shot, and I also didn't pull um, two kneeling shots, I believe it was, on day one. Um, so I was pretty happy with my craft drill. I'll see if I can post that up in the in the show notes or something like that. Um, and then what we did is we went down to range and we evaluated those craft drills. And when we evaluated those craft drills, um, they took the shot that was in the farthest from center ring. So for example, my widest shot was in the two ring, right? So they took that two and they added 10 to it, right? And that was a 12. What is this person doing? Craziness. Um, So that was 12, okay? And then uh, somebody had a 13 or a three. So they were a 13. They're just taking their craft number, and then they're adding a 10 to it. So we had some 12s, some 15s, things like that. So what we did next is we started from a position, and then we moved to a different position and engaged that target. In the amount of time, that was your craft number plus 10. So, for example, we started from the top of our tripod and then we moved to another barricade that was say a kneeling and when we did that we had to do it in for me it was 12 seconds the other gentleman was 13 seconds another guy was 15 seconds right and they were giving us our time off of the buzzer so shooter ready everybody's standing up looking at the target Mag in, action open, buzzer goes off, you break position, get into your next firing position, which was the kneeling position, acquire the target, close the bolt, send around, and you were supposed to do that within your 12-second time frame. Um, I didn't meet my 12-second time frame at all. I was more in the 13 to 14 seconds consistently. Uh, We ran this drill a bunch of different times. Um, we went from standing to kneeling, from kneeling to standing, from standing to prone, from prone to seated. We ran this drill a bunch of different times. We didn't do the whole 12 shots. They were just kind of showing us, you know, shoot, break position, establish your new position, shoot. We shoot a lot of these PRS matches. This was a comp- advanced competition class. So this was this drill or this exercise that they had us do was really focusing on build and breaks. Um, It was very much like the one-shot drill that uh, Morgan King does as far as starting the timer, moving into a position, breaking a shot, trying to do it with great um, speed, efficiency, efficiency of movement, and um, flow, right? So we're moving from one of the craft positions to a different craft position and then engaging our craft target um so that was really fun i'm definitely going to like practice that one in the future i have practiced it in one of my range uh range trips for practice so that was a lot of fun um we did that for a little while um so that we did our craft drill explained our craft number the craft number plus you know 10 equals the amount of time we're supposed to do the next drill in we ran that drill for probably six, seven rounds. 
and then we uh, moved on. Um, one thing that I wanted um, to learn or to get better at or more practice or evaluation on was tripod rear. And that's something that I expressed in my expectations of the class was tripod rear. So they definitely gave us like a tutorial and a demo and explained tripod rear. They gave us some insights on, you know, um, measure your measure your tripod, not necessarily like, oh, I know that I'm going to be like a hand and a half pulled out on this leg and this leg and this leg, because you know, we'll never know what terrain you're going to be on. But what they were saying is make sure you're measuring your tripod to where when you know you're in an approximate kneeling position and you're using tripod rear, you're not grabbing a knuckle of your tripod, right? Because it's not going to be an effective service surface to grab onto. You don't want to have to try and reposition or readjust your tripod while you're on the clock because then that's just wasting time and it's not effective. It's not efficient. It's not effective. It's not what is going to garner you more opportunities to pull the trigger, which is going to give you more opportunities to earn points. So they said making sure that you get tripods set up efficiently the first time and practicing this and working on it before the stage starts in your dry fire practice, in your range time trips for practice, making sure that those things are taken care of. So that was really good insight. I didn't, I've seen it a couple times. I thought, oh, man, he grabbed the knuckle. That sucks. But I never really thought about how to prevent that from me doing it in, a, in an application like that. So um, we got the demo of tripod rear from Ryan. Ryan did a really good job explaining that one, kind of making sure that we all um, worked with our individual tripods. Um, I was using a two vets. Somebody was using a really right stuff, Anvil 30. Um, somebody was using a Fat Bastard. Um, somebody was using like a Lee Frodo or a Manfrotto or something like that. So we all had different tripods and we all kind of like moved around, used the tripods to the best of our abilities at the time um, and got some tripod rear practice in. So they, they had some targets on our target boards downrange. Um, we had some like one and a half MOA triangles and I am not an, a tripod rear shooter. Um, I've tried it a few times in matches and it's bit me. It's something that I want to get better at. And it's built into my training dry fire um, practice. It's, um, it's written into my actual live fire range trip stuff to work and practice on it. I'm still not very good at it. And I've yet to re-implement it in a match. But everything that I shot at on those 10 or 15 engagements, um, two rounds per, so 30, 40 rounds worth of tripod rear practice. Um, I was hitting very close to point of aim, point of impact. Um, and this was off of all different props. We did or we did a orange Jersey barricade. We did a tank trap. We did just a big wooden structure. We did a ladder. We did a, um, a gun rack, so like a sawhorse gun rack that was out there available at the range. Um, and I've got that target as well because um, I like to track things like that because I'm a nerd. So everything was pretty close. There wasn't anything that was like one's here and then one's like four inches off. Some of them were touching the triangle. Some of them were in the triangle. Some of them were considered a miss, um, but that's fine. 
Um, so we definitely got some some good tripod rear prac in there, and I felt way better about it um, after that class than I did going into that class. Um, after that, we started running stages, um, both on the new side and on the old side, um, which was really fun. So not we weren't necessarily competing against each other. We did do that a little bit later on, but um, just off the bat, like we'd run a stage and we'd either film each other for our own uh our own instagram famousness um still waiting on zach to upload those and then um they that's when the instructors specifically matt um he was watching the instructors ryan was uh calling impacts but you know getting down there seeing if you're pinning the trigger that was one of the issues that they kept dinging me for was i'm very quick to release the trigger upon breaking the shot i'm there i've got good pressure on the trigger pull the trigger and then i immediately let go um i don't slap the trigger i've got a good trigger press i don't have a good tr follow through on that trigger so that's something that i've consciously been working on um through practice um we ran some stuff out to 800 yards on the new side and then they were like hey we're gonna run over to the or we worked on 800 yard stuff on the old side then we went out to the new side um and tried to stretch out to some distance and um it was just not working we had rain or we had uh rain coming in which brought a lot of wind and we measured it at like 28 miles an hour on the new side from the Connex Tower out to 1180 or whatever it is out there, 1100 yards, um, 28 mile an hour switchy headwind. So a um, bunch of brush back there. So you couldn't see where the bullet landed. You couldn't see, you know, you couldn't get a decent wind correction, even though like we'd hold straight up, we'd hold half mil one way half mil the other way we were getting no feedback from the terrain so we're like hey you know what let's cease on this and let's run some more stages um that are closer in so we ended up shooting the 405 bus uh with the head flappers in there and then we were kind of like we kind of did a, a a best man where it was okay you two shoot against each other Whoever wins will go against whoever the other two shoot against. And I believe it was Zach that ended up winning that little um, four-way competition. Um, he was burning it down. I tried doing the I tried doing the first uh, target, and I was like, I was like, okay, the wind's cooking. I'm gonna do um, two tenths. Um, got an impact. Tried to run it. Um, didn't work. Wind died. Switched it was it was a real hectic day as far as wind goes um they're like hey it's pretty miserable over here um let's do one more thing that's close range and then we'll move back over to the new side and we ended up running an nrl hunter stage um they measure or they called out some targets we all had uh trps target reference points um we all knew where our targets was and then we had to start all gear in hand and then on the clock, find range and engage these targets. We already knew where the targets were at because um, they identified them for us, but like finding them from those firing positions. So that was, um, that was humbling. 
Um, I think Zach ended up uh, getting eight out of ten on the uh, on the stage. I think I got like a four. Um, it was either ranging or it was something I don't know. Okay, we're back. Sorry, that was uh, I had a phone call. Um, so we did some more stages. We did uh, we did that NRL Hunter stage, um, and it was fun. So. Um, if you've been to Altus, it was the rocks on the new side. Um, five different targets, five different distances, two shots at each target. Or, excuse me. Five targets, five um, doohickeys. If you hit, move to the next position, next target. If you miss, try and re-engage. Um, four minutes for it or something like that. I don't think anybody had a timing problem. I think it was more or less... Um, I've never tried to run anything like that. Uh, the only NRL Hunter experience I have is the NRL Hunter 22 match that they did um, at Arena um, down, what, last year, last summer. Um, it was the NRL 22X, but it was NRL t- uh, Hunter style match. Had a lot of fun. So hadn't done it with Centerfire, so it was a little bit different. Um but like all gear in hand, like fine range and engaged, like it was good. Um, I didn't do very good on the stage, but it was it was a fun stage to do. Um, uh, let me see what else is on my notes here. Do do do. Yep, we started running stages, side stages. We did a little middle, little mini competition. Ran that NRL uh, hunter stage. Went back over to the new side because the wind was really ripping and it started to get a little bit of sprinkles. Um, and then we went back into the classroom to talk about mindset. Um, cause it was something that they said that they were going to cover. And then we just started pulling triggers and kind of like didn't talk about it, but, um, both Matt and Ryan gave their process on mindset and, uh, stage preparation shooting process and then post stage um prep not preparation but um routine like hey making sure that as i walk up the stage i have the gear that i'm gonna need i've rehearsed the stage in my head i've read the wind i have a a wind game plan i have my dope card i have my magazine my bag tripod whatever i'm gonna need when the buzzer goes i'm gonna execute that plan and then once my time ends I reconstitute. I check my, I write down my dope for the next stage. I reset my turrets to zero. I load my magazine. I put my brass in my brass holder, whatever their particular um, routines were. And then they talked about their mindset, positive attitudes, positive thinking, how they go about um, trying to stay mentally focused over a 20 stage match. Um, So that's going to be my. Um, challenge this weekend is I can stay focused for 10 stages generally not a problem Um, I haven't shot too many two days so that's something that I'm going to be noticing or trying to take note of this weekend while I'm running this match so um, the rain came in so we finished up we did the mindset thing we got everybody's emails phone numbers contact stuff um, and then we did a debrief of the class um thoughts, feelings, expectations, 
it was really on the like open and honest they they said hey you're not going to hurt our feelings we know this class is not what you expected because you expected phil to be at this class we all like they knew i was thinking it and they knew that that was going to be my um my my feedback to them but once again it's not on them it's not on phil it's not on the course it's not on anything life happens and we under i understand that um so we talked a little bit about that so the things that i liked um from the course now remember i've talked to phil about this entire list so this isn't going to be news to any of them um i'm sure that he's talked with um with his business partner and uh kaylin and and the rest of the crew there they've all probably had their own little aar on that course itself so this isn't going to be news to anybody um likes uh shooting with competent instructors so I have gone to um, plenty of matches where you get the like the brand new guy in the stage or in the squad, and you're definitely helping that guy along um, to his benefit, but maybe your detriment because you're not doing the things that you need to be doing to one stay mentally focused or two get your gear prepped or anything else like that. Um, not to say that that's a problem because we're we're here we're supposed to be helping our fellow competitors helping the new guy you know empowering them in the sport keeping them coming back to these matches um which is not a problem i don't have a problem with that but i'm glad i was with competent shooters and competent instructors about to cross state line uh i was glad i was with competent instructors um that just kept the kept the class going kept the the material flowing kept the students i.e me my attention kept us focused um continued to give us feedback continued to give us pointers um it just shows that they are competent instructors um learning new material um if i was to come to this class and not learn anything obviously like I'd have the mindset of, well, why did I come to this class? Like, I didn't learn anything. They didn't teach me any new tricks. They didn't teach me any new material. But that's not the case. I learned um, tripod rear stuff. I learned um, the mover information. I relearned speed drop from the last time I learned it and, like, saw visual representation. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that I learned. Um about shooting in general and then i learned stuff about me because it's oh well i know that i pulled that shot you know or i'm shooting 500 yards and oh it was just off the right edge but there i'm only seeing what's through my reticle and what i feel um as i'm connected to the rifle system but they're seeing me from the outside saying hey your body position was a little off or right when you were about to break that shot you put more cheek pressure on your cheek riser um you didn't pin your trigger back so they've got an outside perspective and is definitely giving me that feedback which was definitely helpful so i was definitely learning learning some material there uh rethinking the craft drill so um i've only ran the craft drill as the craft drill right i've only 
done it standing, kneeling, uh, seated, and prone. But now, like, and it's not rocket science. It's just, like, I hadn't thought of it. But Matt brought up, he's like, so you can use this target to do any type of positional shooting and get a craft number for that specific type of shooting. So, like, tripod rear. I can do a standing tripod rear. I can do a kneeling tripod rear. I can do a seated tripod rear. And then I can do an extremely low or just do normal prone using that craft drill. And then I can work on getting my tripod rear craft number lower, right? Because the lower the number, the better. So I didn't really think about that, but that's something that I've started to incorporate with that tripod rear training live fire stuff that I've been doing is yes, it is a target and it's meant to be used one way, but that's the cool thing is you can use it almost any way that you want and still get learning um, or educational material out of it based on how you perform. Um, another thing that I like was the positive environment, the adaptability to weather and range uh, limb facts. Um, there was a positive environment um, and they were adaptable, um, not only to the weather, but also to not having their primary uh, instructor there. Phil wasn't there. They adjusted and they adapted to that, not just canceling the class. Um, two competent instructors were able to handle both the precision rifle intro class and the advanced competition class without a problem. So way to be adaptable, guys. Um, way to be adaptable with the weather and to the limb facts of range use because there was a military unit out there using the range for training for their unit. So we were working around them. Um, I wouldn't say taking turns with bays or ranges, but like, hey, we went and zeroed over here so they could have this, or they were working on the long range stage over here. So we went over here. It's just different stuff. Um, so just a little bit of deconflicting on the instructor side and then um, uh, moving on. And when they were done or when they were moving off from an area, we just swoop in there and use it for what we needed. So it was cool. Um, and then shooting with classmates that were better than me. I am a big fan of shooting with people that are better than me or shooting with new people. So, um, I generally shoot with the same people a lot, not only in the 22 realm, but also in the centerfire realm. I've shot with a bunch of the same people from South Florida. I've shot with a bunch of the same Georgia people. I've shot with a bunch of, um, the same folks in the, um, the Altus area at the Altus matches. I like shooting with different people and I also like shooting with people that are better than me. And the reason for that is the more you shoot with the same people, like the more you're going to get comfortable with those people. And I think that sometimes you need to be uncomfortable to grow. Like your, like you go to the gym, your muscles, if you just do the same amount of weight every time and you do the same amount of reps every time, you're not going to get sore, right? You're not going to feel that pain. You're not going to feel that burn and your muscles aren't going to grow. So why would I want to continue to do the exact same thing on the range, get comfortable and not stress my comfort level and then grow from it? So um, weird analogy, take it for what it's worth. But um, 
I wouldn't say I was the best shooter on the range that weekend. Um, Zach, I've shot with Zach a handful of times now, and he consistently kicks the crap out of me. So, um, like, Zach is a phenomenal shooter, and, like, he did really, really good all weekend. Um, The other two gentlemen, really, really good shooters. I beat them on some stuff. They beat me on some stuff. Um, Just is what it is. So, it was was good to shoot with people um, that I could learn from. Not only the instructors, but my fellow classmates. Um, Because I think I'm the one that did the worst on the NRL Hunter stage. Okay, one mile taking a right. Okay, now the dislikes. Um, So, first dislike was felt more like a Precision Rifle 2 class rather than advanced comp course. I I took the class to improve my as a PRS competitor, it made me a better shooter. Not sure if the will translate to better at a competition or a better competitor. Um, yeah, like I def I've taken a PR one. I've taken a PR two. I've never taken a competition advanced competition, uh, competition course. It really did feel like a PR two class that I have taken in the past. Um, some of the some of the material was um you know advanced but some of it was you know definitely some PR2 some PR2 vibes um uh I don't know if Phil being there would have made it any different or anything else like that I I won't figure that out till the next time I take this take this course but um to me being where I'm at in the competitive world, it definitely felt more like a PR2 class than a uh, advanced competition class. Um, next, I paid to learn from a national champ, but he couldn't uh, he couldn't make it. Family issues, right? So I've said this probably like four times now in the in the course of this podcast, which is fine because it was it was my main concern about the class, right? Um, Phil had a family emergency, wasn't able to make the class. I totally understand. Uh, family comes first. Glad things uh, are better. I hope I get to train with Phil in the future. Literally, those are my only two dislikes, as I can put it, or negative um, negative thoughts about the class in general. Um, which, like, one of them is completely out of anybody's control, Phil not being there, and the other one was just like my own personal reflection on the course. Did um, did I feel like we really broke down what it is to be a competitor? What it what the thought process is? What the um, the meticulous steps taken to to be at that top tier level? No, I don't think we I don't think we broke it down. Do I know what that looks like to be broken down? I don't know what it looks like when you break it down either. Um, that's why I, I took the class is to learn from a national champion. Phil won the NRL um, championship. I don't even know how long ago. He's podiumed at other matches. He's done sniper competitions. He's done 
um, PRS, he's done AG Cup, he's done all these things. He is a national champion. That's why I took the course. Like, um, people have asked me in the past, like, hey, what what was the class like? And I was like, hey, overall, it was a good class. Um, I would take it again. I will take it again. I am going to take it again. Um, and maybe my, my thought process will change. But I kind of equated it to this. I'd be like, it's going and signing up for a JTAC class, right? You go and sign up, and you're, you're Justin Watts and Clay Blackheader and all these guys is who you're expecting to learn from. And then you show up, and it's like, Bob and Roy and freaking Jeremy and Derek, like just random people that until you took this class, you'd never heard of. They may be shooters. They may compete, but you have no idea who they are. Um, And that's very much what I felt in the match or in this class, um, which is totally fine. Like, the, the instructors kind of went over their bios um, as far as their history in long gun and then their history in competition. Um, both of them primarily, or one of them primarily sticks to the team sniper comps and one of them sticks to like local home range stuff. Um, travels a little bit, which is fine. We all do our own thing. But like, like I said, I, I came there to learn from a national champion to get that that champion insight if if I'm sure there is some there um twice national champion um I like that's that's why I went there that's why I took the class um I don't feel shorted that I didn't get it um I had a really long conversation with Phil about everything I talked about I went over this whole spreadsheet um that I talked to you guys for the last hour or so about um he said, put it out there. He wants to hear it because this is feedback. This isn't only feedback for myself because now I'm rethinking about some stuff, but this is feedback for him as a business owner, as a teacher, as uh, a marksman, as a business owner on things to think about. So this is basically, they've had their own internal AAR. Now they're getting um, an AAR from an actual um, paying customer. So, you know, it's worth what you paid for it. Absolutely nothing. Um, take it or leave it. Like those are just my thoughts and opinions, but overall I give, I give the course an A like, um, it was run well. It was at a great facility, competent instructors, no safety incidents. Everybody had a good time. It was two days on the range firing over 200 rounds ring and steel making small groups on paper like it's hard to not have a good time while you're doing that i learned three solid things tripod rear um a different way of doing movers right speed drop like craft drill so it's like four things four uh four solid takeaways from that like i can't be mad like I'm not mad. I'm happy. I'm glad I took the course. Like I said, I'm going to take the course again. So if you guys are out there and you're wondering if you should be taking a, a course, yes, it is going to be my goal to try and take one cor- one 
training course per year here going forward um, just so I can always be a student, right? Um, we're always a student. You should always be learning. You should always be trying to improve on something. So one of the things I'm going to try and do is take one um, one one class, whether it be a PR1, a PR2, an advanced class, a carbine class, a pistol class, whatever it may be. I'm going to try and take at least one class a year. Probably stick with the precision rifle stuff for a little while um, on the classroom st side of things. Um, do that and then... Um, always be a student like is what it is if you guys are thinking about taking a class I would recommend taking a modern day sniper class um, they're not paying me to say that they're not like giving me a throwback once again this is what you paid for like nothing like that's my opinion I would take another modern day sniper class whether Phil is there or if um, uh, his why can I never remember his name? Kalen's there. Um, Matt or Ryan, if it's another instructor, whoever it may be, I'd still take the class because I know that I am still going to get good instruction from competent people. I'm going to have a good time. Um, yes, I want to take a JTAC class. Yes, I want to go take another Max Ordnance class. Uh, yes, I want to train with Chris Way. Yes, I want to take a Frank Galley class. Like These are all things that I want to do. Now just finding the time, uh, money, and resources to go do it, that's another story. Um, but get out there, take some training, whether it's your your local range offering a training, whether it's one of these um, official official training organizations like Modern Day, uh, Modern Day Sniper or, um, you know, if it's Max Ordnance, whoever it may be. Um, vet your instructor, like just don't, you know, Billy Bob teaches, a, a a carbine or a pistol or a precision rifle class somewhere. Um, you know, vet your instructor, make sure that they're, they're, they are competent. Um, and I definitely, uh, I definitely found competent instructors when I looked up the modern day sniper guys. Definitely. When I took my max ordinate class, like I did my research on my instructors, found out what, their their bona fides were like what i'm getting out of the class how much the class is like i did all that research um and found out about all that information before i actually signed up so i don't have an issue taking another modern day sniper um course of instruction um whatever it may be um but i know those guys are in my future so uh, any questions on any of this stuff if you want um some more information you guys can check out um MDS on their website, on their socials. Um, I know they got a, I know they got Instagram cause I'm always following that one. The video quality that Phil puts up is, is right there. I don't know who he's got doing his video stuff or what program they're using or any of that jazz. I just know that it's amazing and it looks super cool. So keep pumping out those videos. It's good stuff. Um, but you can find them on their socials. I don't know what they are off the top of my head. Probably at Modern Day Sniper on Instagram. I don't know if they have a Facebook or not. But there's also the Modern Day Sniper app through Mighty. Um, I'm on that as well. Um, if you want to find me, 
in this podcast. You can go to at another GD podcast, all one word on Instagram. You can, uh, if you got questions or you want to chat about this or you think I'm full of it or you want to ask some questions, go ahead and hit me up at guy.demargo.84 at gmail.com. My personal Instagram is at hot GD rod, all one word. Um, or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guide DeMarco and hit me up there and we'll link up and oh shit I'm getting pulled over um, get linked up and answer any questions you got so till next time I'm going to get pulled over and get this speeding ticket and try and explain why I have an AR with a suppressor on the front of it so uh, get with me later awesome